0: between people is an interesting art. And it's very interesting when you talk to people. And my my mother would, would say to us growing up that if you want to be a good conversationist, then what you do is you ask people about themselves. Because people love, first and foremost, to talk about themselves. Now, in that, that's fine. It's fine to talk a little bit about yourself. What we don't want, though, is you don't want to be the kind of person that you just hog the entire conversation, and the entire conversation is about you. Well, I remember seeing years ago a little cartoon with, uh, oh, I just lost his name in my mind, um, Garfield, and talking to Odie. And Garfield admitted and said you know what I'm tired of talking about me and he said why don't you talk about me for a while (laughs) well when we come to the end of Paul's epistle I suppose we could just look at it and say it is the end of the epistle and he's going to just tell the final instructions and what's going to happen we probably could cover those last four verses in just one week well There really is a lot more here because what we find out about Paul is Paul is going to talk a little bit about himself. He's writing a letter to all of the churches while he's in prison because they're concerned about him and he's doing all of this and then he's going to send Tychicus to send and give the letter and then explain in detail. Now why is that? because he wants to make sure that the believers are not overly concerned. He wants to encourage them. And so in this idea of these last few passages, what I want you to see is, number one, Paul's not just giving details. He's doing these things to set their heart at peace to encourage them that even though you're going through difficult circumstances, God is in control and at work. And then there's Tychicus. We'll talk about him now. Tychicus, I'm just sad that I didn't plan this a little better. I could have done the biography of Tychicus on Father's Day. That's how good it is. So we'll talk about him. Anyway, One writes this, Tychicus not only carried the epistle to the Ephesian believers, but he also gave a personal account of the conditions of and the prospects for the Apostle Paul. Tychicus is an example of the many faithful servants of Christ in the early church. The Apostle Paul had great confidence in him. Paul wrote that he might comfort your hearts. Tychicus would allay any fears that the Ephesians might have about the condition of the Apostle Paul. The brotherly love exhibited in the early church is the undertone of all of Paul's epistles. Paul had a real concern for the brethren. That is worthy of Talking about in one sermon. So I invite you to turn now to Ephesians chapter 6, and we'll read once again verses 21 and 22. It says, But that you also may know about my circumstances, how I am doing, or as Lenski translated, how I am faring. Tychicus. And we have a long line of descriptions here. The beloved brother and the faithful minister in the Lord will make everything known to you. I have sent him to you for this very purpose so that you may know about us and that he may comfort your hearts. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, that we would be Beloved Christians in the Lord to one another, and I do think we are, but that we would even be great in a greater way, Lord. How, Father, we pray that this morning that we'll see even another level of the depth of concern and love that we ought to have for one another through the life of Paul and through the life of Tychicus. Father, there is a lot here, and we will go through a lot of detail. But, Father, in that detail, may we understand it's your sovereignty. May we understand that it's your work, that you will continue through your saints. And, Father, may we also understand how we ought to be beloved, faithful, comforters to one another. And we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. So, again, as we're looking at Ephesians... Uh, Chapter 6, verses 21 through 22. Let me give you the outline. Let me let you know where we're going. Oh, by the way, so this painting of the Apostle Paul depicts him, one, as balding, which is supposedly what tradition says, but also writing, the writing of scriptures. And if you notice, there is a sword to his right. And in painting, in the... uh, uh, Imagery of painting the sword with Christians stands for a writer of Scripture, the sword of the Spirit, which is found in, what's the name of that book? Oh, yeah, Ephesians. And there it is, highlighted a little bit. I I wish I could have done a better highlight, but. All right, so this morning, we're going to take a look at, number one, Paul's connection with Ephesus. I mean, how did we all begin this. Uh, He's writing a letter to them, so he obviously knows them, but what was his connection with Ephesus? And what we're going to see is that he did go to Ephesus in the midst of his mighty, tireless ministry. Secondly, since he's going to tell them about his circumstances, Paul is going to, we're going to talk about his circumstance of imprisonment. And we have talked about that. We know he's in prison. We know this is one of his prison epistles. But what really was the circumstances, and how long was he there? And how was it that he was able to write from prison? And then we're going to see in verse 22 and a little bit of 21, Paul's communication to the churches, not just the church of Ephesus, but also Philippians, Colossians, But he's going to do it through the communication by Tychicus, who will both deliver the letter and explain and answer questions. And what we're going to finally take a look at is Tychicus himself, his biography. We're going to see Paul's comfort, that's the main idea here, through sending Tychicus. All right, so let's begin with Paul's connection with Ephesus. Well, I know we did discuss some of this in our introduction, but it does really apply at the end, and probably since the introduction wasn't preached for a long, long time, in fact, I just saw the date of it, April of 21, that's when we started the book of Ephesians, but I make no apologies, in fact, it wouldn't, it would just take wouldn't even take a majority vote it would just take a 50-50 vote and I would preach it again all right well the the idea here of this is we just want to get the background a little bit and then we'll talk about his association and it's very interesting as as he's letting them know what his circumstances are well do you know what his circumstances are that's what we're going to take a look at well first of all let's take a look at emphasis uh, Ephesus. let's have an emphasis on Ephesus, and Uh, Ephesus is about 50 miles south of the modern city of Izmir. That's in Turkey. Um, Now, Ephesus was a major seaport until the silt started coming in and finally Ephesus was six miles inland and that took a lot of time. But while, while Ephesus was going on, Next to Rome, it was one of the major cities in the Roman province. So it was actually a capital of a Roman province. And it was a significant trade center uh, there at the harbor. And it was in a fertile area, so they had a lot going on. And all of the major roads connected in Ephesus. So it was a major, major city. Now I want to point out, because we've already talked about Colossians, is the companion book, and we've looked at Colossians throughout our study to see the maybe an explanation about what it is that Paul was saying here in Ephesians. Well, there's Colossae, and Colossi was about 120 miles uh, east of Ephesus. So there was a letter written to to Ephesus and a letter written to Colossae um, and they were to distribute the letters back and forth as well but there there really was two different things going on Colossae was having the the very seat of false teaching coming in if you remember when we went through the book of Colossians we talked about a pre-gnosticism and of course that's sometimes hard to grasp on what that false teaching is it's around today it basically just turns everything upside down, that the God of the Bible is the evil God. But there was another God, and Lord Jesus Christ is not God. He wasn't the sole savior, but he was just uh, one of the mediaries uh, between the, the line of a, a God that was spirit to material. That's, that's what was really going on in Colossae, and Paul Definitely keyed in on that. Ephesus, well, there's a lot of keys there, hasn't there been? Um, the first thing we find about is that he talks about our position in Christ, and we went through that and the spiritual blessings. By the way, he was writing from prison, and yet one of the Ephesians to know the spiritual blessings in Christ. He also wanted to know the uh, Ephesians to know spiritual warfare, which is by standing firm, by putting on and keeping on the armor of God. Well, one other thing, too, about Ephesus is that it is one of the churches in the book of Revelation that the Apostle John wrote to and wrote about from the Isle of Patmos. And actually, believe it or not, in the benediction next week, we're actually going to refer to that section in Revelation. But anyway, that's where that was written. And of course, there are the seven churches. Colossae is not mentioned as one of them, but Ephesus certainly is, as well as Laodicea. Well, what is Paul's connection with Ephesus. When did he first go there? Well, he first went there in AD 53. And I don't know if it's because we've been studying the book of Kings and we're doing the dates and the kings and trying to keep, but this is so interesting to follow the dates of when all of this is happening. And we're going to follow the dates from the beginning of the time that he was with Ephesus. And we're going to talk about to the time when Paul was beheaded. So that's one of the Uh, things we're going to do, but I'm also going to make, there's some application along the way. Anyway, Paul's initial visit was in Acts chapter 18, verses 19 through 21. You don't have to turn there, but you can. Feel free to turn there. There will be other passages that I want us to turn to. But in Acts chapter 18, verses 19 through 21, on his second missionary journey, he goes through Ephesus and he preaches. And it was received well, and they wanted him to stay, but he had a prior commitment, and he had to leave. But he did leave Aquila and Priscilla there, whom had joined him, and he had planned and committed to revisiting, and he would. Now, while he was gone and Aquila and Priscilla was there, they met Apollos, and he was the one who was mighty in the Scriptures, but needed to be instructed in the way of the Lord in more detail. Of course, that was the ministry of Aquila and Priscilla to do that, and, and they did. And he became a mighty teacher uh, in the church. Well, sometime between A.D. 54 and A.D. 57, Paul returned. So it's closer to 54, and he's going to stay there for three years. When he said he was going to return, he meant it, and he, and he just starts a church and starts to minister, and a church is grown, and there are a lot of other things that you might remember about this in the book of Acts, in chapter 19. You remember he converted some of John's disciples. They had not really known about all of these things, and so he brought them to Christ. They had the Holy Spirit. Another incident was do you remember the seven sons of Skeva? They were the ones who just were self-appointed uh, people who would cast out demons until they came across a real demon. And I, I just love this so much in Acts chapter 19, verse 15. When they came across the demon, the evil spirit, the evil spirit answered and said to them, Oh, I recognize Jesus. Oh, and I know about Paul, but who are you? And it says, and the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them and subdued all of them and overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. Well, it's interesting here. And let me just, let me just connect the synapse for you. That's very interesting because in that ministry, while he's in Ephesus, there is an evil spirit who says, I know of Paul. That's spiritual warfare, beloved. They knew he was there and he had a great work. And yet there was adversaries and there was spiritual warfare. By the way, I'm not really going to connect these verses with spiritual warfare. I think... We've pretty much left that in the context, although there are some who do connect spiritual warfare with these two verses. Well, then we begin to see some other things that are happening. One of the things that was happening, you remember when they began to burn all of the occultic books. That was because Paul was in Ephesus. Now, this is who he's writing the letter to. So he was there for three years, and you can imagine how much they loved Paul. You can imagine how much Paul taught them. And you can imagine the great victories that they saw there while Paul was there. So there was the burning of these books. And there was another incident. It would be the incident that really would end up uh, concluding Paul's three years there. And this one we will take a look at in Scripture. The worship of Artemis the worship of Artemis Well I want to say that we're going to find out just a little bit about the background of which Paul ministered there in Ephesus. There was great things happening, but the culture was pagan and the culture was immoral. And this morning Lou talked about the time when Zephaniah the prophet was preaching and the things that the world was, and even seeping into Israel, those things we see today. We see pagan culture coming in. We definitely see immoral culture here, not just seeping in, but it's here. And I will talk about that in just a moment. But Who was Artemis? Well, she was a female deity, mother of earth. Uh, You could see that uh, she's not so much a looker. But, um, and one of the things, you know, if you don't come out to our first and second king's teaching on Wednesday night, you're missing a great deal. One of the things that we have done is we have taken a look at these gods that We're being worshipped at the time, even Israel was worshipping, and we look how silly they look, and we would give them funny names. Now, that can't be offensive because false gods don't really exist. They're certainly not getting offended, are they? Well, we talked about Baal, you know, Baal worship. Well, they have a picture of Baal, a little icon, a little shrine of him, and he reminds me of Harpo Marx, just with that silly little hat. We also have Asherah. So Asherah is kind of like a tree and, and the branches are growing out of her head and her feet and kind of reminds you of Groot. Well this past week we talked about another God who was Kaz. And I I really couldn't think of a name, so after we were done and we weren't live streaming anymore, I opened it up to see if anyone had any ideas who Kaz. I should show you. I should be showing you the picture, shouldn't I? Oh, no, wait, just come out on Wednesday night and I'll show you. And Lou came up with the idea that Kaz looks like Mr. Potato Head, although that's good. Anyway, here is Artemis, and she was also the Roman Diana, so they had different names, only that was the Latinized name. Now, here's another picture of Artemis. She was the goddess of the hunt, chastity, childbirth, wild animals, and the wilderness. She was one of the most revered Greek deities. And you can see there, this picture here, uh, she has a hunting dog inside of her. And um, I think she has the uh, first prototype of the Matthew's bow, okay? I I think that's what that is. Um, And she also would be involved in fertility. All of the gods were involved in fertility because they wanted children, they wanted agriculture. And so instead of trusting the Lord and following the Lord, they began to serve these other gods. And at one point, God said, oh, you're in trouble. Oh, you don't have agriculture. Um, Why don't you let these other false gods help you? Because you keep going to them. And of course, they couldn't because they didn't exist. Well, Not only was Artemis worshiped there in Ephesus, but they had this great temple of Artemis there. And this temple uh, was built in somewhere between uh, 560 and 547 B.C. That is just about 20 years before Jerusalem is released from Babylon and allowed to go back. So there is this pagan culture that's thriving even though we have the Jewish people who love and serve Yahweh and even more so now since they're getting out of captivity. This, this is a replica, by the way. This is a replica um, of the temple of Artemis and it was actually considered one of the seven wonders of the world. Well, that's, that's how much she was worshipped there. And here's another picture. And, and there was a famous sculptor who did these sculptures uh, there on the front of the face of the, the, the uh, temple and then even on the inside. That's what it looks like today, and rightly so. I mean, we we're thankful for the archaeology because it proves that the Bible's right, but we're also thankful that God had taken care of that time the worship of Artemis. Well, not only was this the background in which Paul was ministering, and this is the background which these Ephesians were coming from, They're coming, they were coming out of paganism. And by the way, when we think of paganism, you think of worshiping an idol. And they had idols. Well, what idols do we worship today in our pagan culture? We worship man. We worship ourselves. That is who we worship. We are we are like the next level higher in paganism. We don't worship God. We worship ourselves. That's what the world does. That's what the culture does. But as Christians, we are not a part of that. He has saved us from that. It was also a very immoral city. So he dealt with immorality. That applies to today, doesn't it? It had thousands of priestesses who were engaged in temple prostitution religiously in order to have communion with the goddess. It was involved with occultic and shameful practices, so much so that Heraclitus wrote the morals of the temple were worse than the morals of animals for even dogs do not mutilate each other the people there were fit only to be drowned isn't that interesting so this so so if you say it's so discouraging we can't do anything think of the apostle paul and the culture that he ministered in in fact that's why he received so much persecution was because he stood as a light for god's word and god's holiness In the midst of a pagan and immoral world. But it was also hostile. And that leads us to his imprisonment. But before we get there, in Acts chapter 19, and I would like you to turn there, in Acts chapter 19, we have the riot at the amphitheater. And here's a picture of the amphitheater, some of it restored. And this is the idea, and was said that there were could you could hold twenty five thousand people there. This a riot broke out because local businessmen were having trouble with their business because Paul was preaching the truth and they were no longer worshiping and needed the shrines of Artemis, Acts chapter nineteen. Let's begin with verse twenty three about that time, there occurred no small disturbance concerning the way. What was the way? It was a name for Christians. Let me show you the way. Do you know the way to heaven? Let me me show you. And they were all saying it so that the people called them the way. The way, that's all they keep doing. You want to know the way? Man, that we would be called the way again. Well, verse 24. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Artemis, was bringing no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen of similar trades and said, Men, you know that our prosperity depends upon this business. Great religious guy, right? He's all about money. You see in here that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul, has persuaded and turned away a considerable number of people saying that gods made with hands are no gods at all. Wow, what a breath of fresh air and a breath of logic. Verse 27. Not only is there danger that this trade of ours fall into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis be regarded as worthless, and that she whom all of Asia and all the world worships will even be dethroned from her magnificence. Paul was having an effective ministry. When they heard this, they were all filled with rage and they began crying out Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! It says, The city was filled with confusion. And they rushed with one accord into the amphitheater, dragging along Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia. And when Paul wanted to go into the assembly, you got to love this guy. When he wanted to go into the amphitheater, the disciples would not let him. No, Paul, they're going to kill you. No, Paul. And yet he was bold enough to go. Verse 31. Also, some of the Asiarchs, who were friends of his, sent to him and repeatedly urged him not to venture into the theater. It was so violent, so hostile against God and Christianity and against Paul, he was surely going to die. So then, some of them were shouting one thing and some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and the majority did not know for what reason they had come together. Wow, wow, there you go. I wonder if that's like protest today. They're just people. They're not really sure why they're there. They're just there to protest. Some of the crowd concluded it was Alexander. Since the Jews had put him forward and having motion with his hand, Alexander was intending to make a defense to the assembly. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, a single outcry arose. They got together now from them all as they shouted for about two hours. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And so this event, number one, tells us this anti-Christian society, pagan society, very hostile, even willing to kill. But it also shows us the atmosphere and the culture to which Paul did his tireless ministry it did make him softer it didn't make him more timid it emboldened him he wanted to go and it also though it was did become the event that would end uh, end his three year ministry there in Ephesus now again we think about our own culture today you could call our culture paganistic pagan means without god or without the god or with many gods and that's what we have a hodgepodge of everything and certainly we could say our culture is a culture of immorality and and you would look back in there and when we read about the temple prostitutes we we gasp out of shock And yet, I dare say, if we could go back in time and tell them what we're going through in our day and age right now, they would gasp in shock at our immorality. But yet, Paul worked tirelessly to fulfill his calling as an apostle, and he made a dent in the culture. There were things changing because many were coming to Christ. Well, that concluded in A.D. 57, okay? So that's important for us to know. Paul then leaves and does what he always does. It goes on mission and continues to share Christ and preach and, and start churches. But on, on the way back in A.D. 57 to 58, somewhere in there, he decides to talk with the elders at Ephesus. And he calls them from Ephesus to Miletus. So he doesn't go to Ephesus, but he calls the elders. And in Acts chapter 20, verses 17 to 38, is perhaps one of the most powerful and passionate exhortations to leaders of the church, including a warning about the false teaching that will creep in after Paul's departure. Be on guard for the flock don't let false teaching come in. So that's another area in which he dealt with and had to work with was the false teaching, and he did. He did teach. So this is his background with Ephesus. Now, what about his circumstances of imprisonment? <clears throat> Stay with me. I know a lot of details, but I just, I just find it so, so interesting and and it, it, it's very hard to put it together you have the book of acts and then you have a little bit of information in in the, the, the prison epistles and you have to try to put it all together and you have to try to get the timeline but when you do it it puts the whole thing together and it's like okay now I know why he's writing and by the way that is one of the reasons why he was writing because that was the last time he went to Ephesus and by the time he writes it's some five years later And all they know is that he's in prison. Hence the letter. Now, look what it says in our passage. It says, "...but that you also may know about my circumstances, meaning my imprisonment, how I am doing." Or how I am faring. How's it going? And it's going to be very good. By the way, one of the prison epistles was the book of Philippians, which the theme is rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Unbelievable. And he was writing to the Philippians to let them be comforted about his circumstances. And so here's the big emphasis then. Paul was letting them know in order to encourage them. He wasn't writing to say, go get Jerry Spence. I need a good lawyer here. I need to get out of this place. Oh, by the way, Paul was his own lawyer. Not only intelligent enough and scholarly enough, but Christian enough. You know what his defense was every time he went before someone and it came to a court case? He would share his testimony of how he came to Christ. Man, that was it. That was Paul. Well, what we see here is his great concern. And we're going to talk about his imprisonment in just a second. But I don't want to miss these applications here. Turn with me, if you would, to Philippians chapter 2. Verses 17 through 19. We are memorizing the book of Philippians this year. And I'm telling you what, it just seems like every week there's something from our memory verses that applies to what we're studying. So here's the Apostle Paul. And he's writing from Rome in prison. Well, we haven't gotten to Rome yet. We'll get to Rome. And he says, verse 17 of chapter 2. But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith. It's so hard to read these verses and not preach it. The idea of him being a drink offering means that he would die, die a martyr. But look at the way he looked at death. I'm, I pour myself out for you, Lord. It's a sacrifice, an offering. But then notice what he says, a sacrifice and service of your faith. I'm doing it for you as well. And then he says, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. And they're going, what? What? We should be joyful? Yes, verse 18. You too, I urge, rejoice in the same way. Oh, and share your joy with me. Don't talk about my imprisonment. Share your joy with me of how you're growing in Christ and people are coming to Christ. And then he says, But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you. We sent Tychicus to Ephesus, but Timothy to Philippi. I hope to send Timothy to you shortly so that I also may be encouraged. Oh, so Paul wants a little encouragement. Well, what kind of encouragement? So that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. Paul, you're in prison. They're not. But he wanted to know how they are spiritually. This is Paul. This is why this is such such a major thing that we have to bring it up. Now, how did he get into prison? More than once. Well, After meeting with the elders in A.D. 58, he visited Jerusalem. And while he was there, he visited with James at least. But all of a sudden, a false accusation came up against him. And the false accusation was, number one, he was was, uh, preaching against the law of Moses. And we would say, no, just look at the book of Romans, Romans chapter 7. That explains it. He wasn't preaching against the law of Moses. And he said, the the law is good because it makes us aware of sin, which points us to Christ. By the way, that's what this is about this morning, to talk about our spiritual lives. And I I just want to say, if you're here and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, the law, the word of God says that we are all sinners. There is none righteous, no, not one. Well, then what are we going to do? What's the way to heaven? By trusting the Lord Jesus Christ who died on the cross for our sins and took our punishment. That is the way. That's what Paul preached. That's what we heard when we got saved and that's what we share when we we share the gospel. The other thing that they were upset about Paul was that they thought he took a Gentile into the temple, which he did not. Now, the... Gentile was Trophimus, and actually Trophimus the Ephesian. And we find out in other places that Tychicus and Trophimus were mentioned together. Maybe they were both from Ephesus. Anyway, a riot broke out, and again, they wanted to kill him. Everybody wants to kill Paul. But his life was spared by the sovereignty of God through the hand of a military commander. And so, eventually, because this had to be sorted out, they moved him to Caesarea, where he would go, undergo a court case, except he sat there for two years, two years in prison, waiting for the case to be brought up. When the case was brought up, finally, finally now it was Festus, Paul started getting the distinct understanding... Festus is going to hand me back over to the Jews and they're going to kill me. So Paul appeals to Festus as a Roman citizen, which he was, that he could appeal to Caesar, who was in Rome. And they said, you appeal to Caesar, to Caesar you will go. And he's taken to Rome. Now there in Rome... By this time, it's 60 AD, and we think that he was in Rome between 60 AD and 63 AD, so several years for sure. And by the way, that's how the book of Acts ends. He's in Rome, in prison. Well, what happened after that? Well, we are, again, able to do detective work, which we'll not do that this morning, because I have... I have a feeling this sermon is going to go a little long. <laughs> I, just, I just lost everybody's attention right there. Well, after all, now look, Paul was in prison for two years. We can stand another five minutes, can't we? That's how the book of Acts ends with him in prison. But but notice what he was doing. What do you think he was doing? He was ministering. Acts chapter 28, 30, and 31 he says he stayed two full years in his own rented quarters, attached by chains to a, a Roman guard, and was welcoming all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness unhindered. And that's what we have to do, whatever situation we go through. We have to realize that God's in control. And there's actually an opportunity here for ministry of some sort. Maybe the Lord needs to help us figure out where it is but that's what it is. So this is the circumstance. Now, again, some five years have possibly passed. And, you know, there were people going back and forth telling Ephesus about Paul, but they didn't know. They don't know what's going to happen. And he's more concerned about, I'm going to tell you what's happened, but I want you to have the right attitude. I want you to have the same attitude that I have. In fact, in Philippians chapter 2, that's what he said. Let us have the same attitude that's in Christ, which is able to take these things that happen to us and understand God's purpose in them. So he decides to send Tychicus. Well, now we have a little bit of time here that we need to talk about Tychicus. Tychicus really is a tremendous man. And notice what Paul says about him. He says some great descriptions of Tychicus. He says, but but that you may know about my circumstances, how I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother, one, and faithful minister in the Lord, two, and then we could go to Colossians and he calls him his fellow bondservant, three, and then I'm gonna add on there that he was a comforter because look at verse 22. I have sent him to you for this very purpose so that you may know about us, and that he may comfort your hearts. So we are going to see several things about the Apostle Paul. Go back here to, his, to the outline. He's going to communicate through Tychicus, and he's going to comfort them through Tychicus. Now, we could go through Tychicus is times that we see him in the scripture he's mentioned five times we don't have the time for that I'll just mention them quickly we find in Acts chapter 20 verse 4 that he was one of the converts from one of the districts that Paul had just come through and now they're following Paul and he invited them to go with him and one of them was Trophimus the Ephesian and it says Trophimus and Tychicus so maybe they were both from Ephesus here's the second time we see in scripture that he was with Paul, and the following events that are going to happen with Tychicus are the events that are in Scripture after Tychicus delivers the letter to Ephesus. We're going to see in, or we could see in Titus chapter three verse two, that Titus has already been sent to Crete. It's funny you mentioned Crete this morning, Lou. Has uh, has already. He's already been there ministering in Crete. Well, Paul wants Titus to come see him, and so who does he send in his place? Tychicus. And you would assume that he's going to stay there and teach. He's going to pastor. And then later, we we'll find out in Second Timothy, the very last letter, is Tychicus with him anymore? No. Paul sent him back to Ephesus. We're not sure why. Maybe Send sent it back to be the pastor, to stay there with him. Uh, we're not really sure, but it says, I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. And by the way, I, there is one passage I want to look at. And let's go to Colossians chapter 4, verses 7 through 9. So since we said that Colossae, the letter to Colossae, was a companion letter Guess what? He's going to mention not only Tychicus, but Tychicus will take a letter to them too. Verse 7, as to all my affairs, Tychicus, our beloved brother and faithful servant, and here's the third one, and fellow bondservant in the Lord, will bring you information. For I have sent him to you for this very purpose, almost sounds like the same, that you may know about our circumstances, and here we go, and that he may encourage your hearts. That's why he's being sent. Verse 9, though, and with him Onesimus, his slave convert, our faithful and beloved brother who is one of your number from Colossae, they will inform you about the situation here. And of course, that is just to encourage. So you see how this is going on. Well, now, What are the four things that I want to talk about, Tychicus? And again, this would be a wonderful Father's Day sermon. First of all, he's called the beloved brother. Beloved is the root agape. And he's the agape brother. It is literally translated the one who is a loved brother. Now, why was he loved? Well, in order to be loved, you think about, you have to love Christ. You had to love Paul. You had to have godly love for all the brothers, and you had to have godly character. Those are the kinds of people that Christians love one another. Tychicus did love Paul because we see him here not in prison with Paul, but helping him. And he helped him when he was in Caesarea, and he's helping him now. And we also see the godly character, which other believers. So when, when believers think and thought of Tychicus, say, oh, he's the beloved brother. It would be wonderful if that's the way people thought about us. And and I do think in a general rule, that, that is the way, the love that we have here. I, just uh, Shane was just telling me earlier that, you know, The body they had, the body of believers they had in California, they came here they were only here two days. They came to this church and instantly they felt the same love, the same brotherly love, the same teaching of the word. And by the way, that's part of the brotherly love is the correct teaching. Now quickly, uh, tongue in cheek. uh, So David, the name David means beloved, beloved of the Lord. I, I did find out that my name, Daryl, means beloved of the Lord. And that was such an encouragement to me because as a child, I was to only told that I had a face that only a mother could love. So I'm so glad to find out that beloved. By the way, my wife, her the meaning of her name is beloved of the Lord. We're just a beloved couple. I trust, I hope, I pray that we are beloved by you. And I want you to know that you are beloved by us. And I have referred to you at times from the pulpit as beloved. Because we're in this together. We're growing together. And there isn't anything better than growing in Christ's likeness together. Thank you. No one has come up to me at all and said, You know what? I don't like a theme this year. Everybody has said, Oh, that is so great. That, this is our goal. Beloved brother. Secondly, he was a faithful minister. Now, let me key on unfaithful. We know what faithful is. It's accomplishing the task that we were called to do. But it seems that when someone is faithful, they have an inward pledge and commitment to, to complete it. And they also have an outward commitment to actually do it. You know, instead of just saying, this is what I want to do. It's on my bucket list. This is what I want to do. You go out and you do it. And I'm talking about ministry sake. And and what did he do? How was he faithful? Well, he faithfully ministered to Paul while Paul was in prison. He faithfully carried out ministry tasks like delivering the letter. He faithfully ministered to others, which probably included teaching like when he replaced Titus. And now we're finding out that he's a comforter. He's going to bring comfort. He faithfully is going to do that. Now, what does it mean that he's a minister? Well, I, th- I think this probably is a small M instead of a capital M. It's the Greek word diakonos. And diakonos originally meant to wait on tables or to be an errand runner. And I'm not saying that uh, if, you, if you work at a restaurant and you do that, that you're the lowest of lows. I'm not saying that. But it means someone who serves. That's what it means, someone who serves. And this was Paul's heart. This was the Lord Jesus' heart. He did not come to be served, but to serve. And this was Paul's heart. Now, there is a a, a capital M that the Greek word diakonos sounds like deacon, and it is. And so it would be an official in the church. It's a title and a a position of office in in the church, a, a deacon. But what does a deacon do? What does an elder do? They serve. They serve. They're both diaconoi, because they serve. They serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as we think about faithfulness for ourselves, you know, God is faithful. That's what it says in Philippians 1.6. He who began a good work in you will continue it to the day of Jesus Christ. That is faithful. Thank you, thank you, thank you that you're doing that for us, Lord. You've saved us. You're, you, you keep us. You're working in us. What a faithful God. How could we say then that we should not be faithful to him and to the ministry? Tirelessly in the ministry. Then he's called a bondservant. Now the meaning of bondservant centers around the Greek word, not, not diakonos, but doulos. And doulos, in its original context, meant slave. Now, I know they translated it bondservant, and I know that you can get that, but John MacArthur has written a book about this and said we would do much better if we would use the word slave here because that's what we are. We were bought with a price. We were bought with the blood of Christ. We are his. We have no freedom of our own except what Christ tells us to do. And beloved, that is freedom. Freedom is not doing what I want to do when I want to do it. Hello, America. Freedom is the ability and the freedom to do what I ought to do by the will of God. And that's what we have. But we are his slaves. And by the way, Christ was a bondservant. Philippians 2, verse 7. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a bond slave. Go ahead. I'm happy with that translation. A, a bond doulos. It means a slave who's in bonds. We're in bonds to Christ. He is not in chains to a prisoner, uh, to, to a guard. The guard is in chains to him. Paul is ultimately chained to his Savior. It also was a lofty title. And this is, this is a kind of an, an honor to Tychicus to be called a fellow bondservant. In the epistles of Paul and James and Peter and Jude, they all begin their letter by saying, Paul, a bondslave of Christ. It was their character, but it was a prestigious title to be called a bondslave of Christ. And he calls Tychicus a fellow bond slave. And here I think just the way that he was a slave of Christ. Not that he wrote a book in the Bible or anything like that or was an apostle. But that he had this kind of a heart. And he was in service right along with Paul. So this is interesting. Now we're thinking of an application and there are many. that We ought to be slaves of Christ, servants to others. The big test is when you get treated like one, how do you respond? But as I think about this, you know, if you labor here at church, you're not laboring for me, the pastor. You're not laboring for the elders. Now, you're helping us. I don't want to get that wrong. There's a lot of helping opportunities here. But we fervently labor for Christ That is the idea, but we are slaves of Christ. In fact, we know a little bit about slaves because Paul wrote about them in chapter 6, verses 5 through 8. Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ. Ultimately, you're serving Christ. So we see really that we ought to be bond servants. Fathers, you ought to be bond servants of Christ. You want your children to see a great example. You want your children to live for Christ, Show them a bond servant of Jesus Christ. And mothers too. And finally, he was a comforter, as that's what it says in Ephesians. Ephesians 6 that he may comfort your hearts and then in Colossians 4 8 it says that he may encourage your hearts well you want to know something interesting it's the same Greek word he could have said the translators could have said encourage both times or they could have said comfort both times but I'm kind of glad that they didn't because it brings across the message he went there to encourage them in the Lord in case they were discouraged if they were discomforted, he went to comfort them. Now, the Greek word is parakleto. That is a word that is used of the Holy Spirit. In fact, we call the Holy Spirit by that Greek title parakletos or paraklete. He's the Paraclete. What does that mean? It means one who is called alongside to help Aid, encourage, and comfort. That's what the Holy Spirit does for us. Praise God. In fact, when you go to the book of John, Jesus is speaking. He said, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. That's the word parakleto there. Verse 26 calls him the helper. Uh, each translation either calls him comforter or calls him the helper. You call him the encourager. As long as you know that the paracletos does all of that. And that's, was, that was Tychicus. He was going there as a paracletos to encourage them spiritually, to comfort them. Uh, perhaps they were sad. They didn't know. They were worried. Now, how was he going to comfort them? Well, he was going to tell them about the sovereign hand of God in each instance when God not only spared Paul, but also gave Paul the many opportunities to witness while in prison for some four years. And, of course, I've, I've, I've read this before, but, and I won't read it now, but the, the one about, he says, and the whole praetorian guard has heard the gospel while he's in, in, in house arrest in Rome. And so, I, you know, you've got to imagine, these, these unbelieving Roman soldiers, uh, crude men, they've got to hear the gospel for as long as they have to watch. And you could see some of them saying, I will pay you money if you watch Paul tonight instead of me. I've had enough. And yet, evidently, some of them have come to Christ. This is what Tychicus will do when he comforts them and encourages them. That even though Paul is in prison, God is working it out for good. God is working it out for what he always does, our father's business, for sharing the gospel and edification. And he's gonna probably let them know about that. And I'm sure they will have many, many questions and he will help them. How's his health? How's he doing? Does he need anything? Uh, let him know that we're praying for him. And, you know, Tychicus says, well, you know, what what can we do? He would probably say, well, you know what you could do? Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice in the Lord always. That's what you could do because that's what he wrote in his prison letter to the Philippians. He wrote about their spiritual blessings. They want to know how he is. They want to know if he's okay in prison. What should we do? Should we hire Jerry Spencer? Should we hire a lawyer? What should we do? Let me tell you about all the spiritual blessings that you have in Christ. And just in case... I don't say it next week. I say this verse many, many times. Verse 3 of chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every, not some, every spiritual blessing. We're not waiting for a second one. We have them all, all 33, according to Schaeffer, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, totally secure in Christ. Wow, where'd that come from, Paul? You're in prison. I mean, can't you even complain about the food? I mean, what's going on here? That's what he wanted to send. And he wanted to tell them about spiritual warfare. He was experiencing it. Church in Colossae was experiencing it. And then probably Ephesians was too with the false teaching and probably some of those pre-Gnostics were coming over from Colossae. He wanted them to know about all of this. This is how Tychicus would comfort them by the hand, sovereign hand of God and the work of God and the work of Paul and the deliverance of Paul. So finally, we too, we too, believers, are those who are called paracletos, paracletoi. We are called alongside to encourage and comfort the brethren. We're told in the scriptures to encourage one another. And it's the same word, parakaleo. We're called alongside to comfort. Now, I understand when sometimes somebody has a broken heart, scripture says cry with those who cry, weep with those who weep. Rejoice with those who are rejoicing. So there is that human element of it. But Paul always looked for that other element, the spiritual element, because it's the spiritual element that takes you above your circumstances. You get down under your belt all of the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ, and I don't see how it's possible for you to be discouraged anymore. So, how do we become paracletoi? Well, we do it, number one, by being alert and praying for all the saints. Remember that? That's one way that we do it. But we also explain God's purposes. We also try to encourage, you know, I I feel that way. When someone's telling me their troubles, I I do listen to them, and I let them go on and tell me their trouble, and it it does bother me when I hear what they're going through. And You know, sometimes I'll even, you know, chime in, I can't believe that, and you know, it's terrible, but then I like to, and I pray that I always do, I pray that I always will, I like to try to bring us both around to, what's God doing in this? This is how we become comforters. We pray for them, and we explain God's purpose for their lives and circumstances from God's word. And so this morning, from these two verses on the personal matters of Paul, I admonish us and pray to God that he would help us to be beloved saints, to be faithful ministers, to be Christ's bondservant, and to be a comforter. J. Vernon McGee and Warren Wiersbe, they have some interesting quotes Wiersbe says, we are not fighting the battle alone. So he's still including this in spiritual warfare. I'm fine with that. There are other believers who stand with us in the fight. We're not alone. And we ought to be careful to encourage one another because it is a fight. And, and there is a sense in which we do think of spiritual warfare. Paul encouraged the Ephesians through Tychicus. Tychicus was an encouragement to Paul that Paul said, hey, why don't you go with me in the mission? Paul was going to send Tychicus to Ephesus to be an encouragement to them because he knew he can be an encouragement because he's a beloved brother. He loves God and he loves believers. Paul was not the kind of missionary who kept his affairs to himself. He wanted the people of God to know what God was doing. How their prayers were being answered and what Satan was doing to oppose the work. And we talked about that, being yousted out of Ephesus. His motive was not selfish. From prison, his motive was not selfish. He was not trying to get something out of it. What an encouragement it is to be a part of the family of God in this way. Nowhere in the New Testament do we find an isolated believer. Christians are like sheep. They flock together. Among other things, sheep are not always so highly talked about. And that that applies as well. We're, We're prone to wander. But Christians are like sheep in the sense of what? Is there one good character quality in a sheep? And you tell this to someone who's a rancher next time and says, I hate sheep. You just say, well, there's one good thing about sheep. What's that? They flock together. (laughs) And that reminds us of how we ought to be as believers. The church is an army and the soldiers need to stand together and fight together and to encourage and comfort one another. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for all that's in these two verses. Thank you for the life of the Apostle Paul that shows us how it ought to be done. Was he perfect and sinless? No. Was he infallible when he wrote Scripture and when he preached? Yes. But even in the sharing of the gospel, he prayed for boldness and the right words. Father, what an example he was and what an example Tychicus is. And not just for men, for a pre-Father's Day sermon, but for all of us. We all ought to be beloved. We all ought to be faithful. We all ought to be comforters and all ought to be bond slaves. So, Father, to be honest, there's a lot of work in sanctification for us. But we're here and we're willing. We give ourselves to you and to the Holy Spirit's ministry of making us more like Christ. And we'll thank you for it from this example from the scriptures. In Jesus' name, amen.